This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. Again, I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss rating healthcare quality, specifically hospital care quality. With me to discuss the topic is Dr. Doris Peter, Director of the Health Rating Center at Consumer Reports. Doris, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. Dr. Peter's bio is, of course, posted on the podcast website. On background, rating provider care quality is increasingly the norm. For example, this past July, CMS added hospitals to its five-star quality rating system. Rating hospital care quality and other provider care quality is, however, controversial. The American Hospital Association, the Association of Medical Colleges, and other groups opposed CMS's decision to go forward with its program formally titled Overall Hospital Quality Star Rating and published on CMS's Hospital Compare website. Shortly after CMS released its hospital star ratings, MedPAC wrote a letter expressing several concerns, including their finding that only 56% of five-star hospitals were rated uh, based on all four of the quality outcome groups. JAMA published earlier this month a Viewpoint editorial titled, The Stars Are Not Aligned, that outlined seven areas of concern. A similar essay appears... Uh, more recently on the Health Affairs blog, uh, November 14th, similarly titled CMS's Hospital Star Ratings Fail to Pass the Common Sense Test, and an early analysis by Harvard's Dr. Uh, Ashish Jha found large nonprofit teaching safety net hospitals did worse than small, less than 100-bed for-profit hospitals with higher profitability margins. For example, among five-star rated hospitals, Dr. Jha found uh, there was a 15-fold difference between hospitals with the most poor patients compared to hospitals with the fewest poor patients. With me again to discuss hospital rating quality is, again, Dr. Doris Peter. So with that as background, although um, uh, fairly uh, critical, uh, Dr. Peter, uh, let me just ask with the basic question, begin by asking the basic question, why does Consumer Report rate hospitals? Well, we have a little bit of a different aim, I think, than CMS does with their star ratings. So our ratings of hospitals are really aimed at the hospitals themselves, and we are trying to um, get awareness of issues within hospitals, and our goal is to actually change the behavior of the leadership within the hospital because we feel like by doing that we'll be able to impact, you know, the outcome of patients more than, you know, for example, shifting patients from one hospital to another, which is less likely to happen given people often don't have a choice. Okay, thank you. So let's go to the weeds here or get in the weeds with this. So um, curious to know your data sources and how you uh, score uh, hospital quality and also the sources, how do they uh, add up to your formula? Sure. Well, we rate hospitals in different ways. Um, I would say the ones we focus on most and the ones that we um, have been covering most are related to hospital acquired infections. So for that data, our source is the CDC. They have something called the NHSN, um, where hospitals report infection data to them, and then they release that data to the federal government, and CMS subsequently reports it to the public. So uh, that source of data, again, it's uh, reported from the hospital, so it is self-reported. 
Um, there are audits that are done, and that's one of the things we can talk about is data accuracy and audits. Um, but in the end, we take that data, we analyze it, and we have a rating system that tries to drive uh, the infection rate down to zero, because that's our goal. The goal is zero. So in order to get our best rating, you have to have zero infections. And then we use other benchmarks uh, to categorize the other the other uh, five categories, the other four categories of our treatment of our I'm sorry of our rating system. Okay, and just to mention on infections, you did forward me, and I'll note recently published an article: zero tolerance for deadly hospital acquired infections. Mm-hmm. Consumer report identifies which hospitals do a good job and which don't, and that was November twenty one. Um, other areas of hospital uh, care quality that you score. Yes, definitely. So let me just take one more step back from uh, to infections. So uh, they, we now report on five different hospital-acquired infections, um, and so that's uh, a real focus for us. Another focus for us is maternity quality of care. Right now we are only reporting on um, C-section rates, but we're going to be adding other maternity-related measures um, shortly. And so, again, same sort of uh, theory of change, though. We want people to be aware of issues so that the hospitals and doctors to change their behavior. And then we also have something called our hospital safety score, which is a roll-up of various measures, including the infection measures, which really probably drive most of the variation in that in that rating, the safety score. Uh, the safety score also has in it uh, readmissions, it has mortality, and it has some components of um, caps of patient experience, and it has a couple of overuse of scanning measures, uh, although we'll probably take those out because they've, those have now been improving to the rate that we don't think uh, rating them is going to really improve things anymore. So that was our imaging or overuse of imaging mm-hmm. sc- tests. Mm-hmm. Right. And you mentioned CAPS, and that's, again, Consumer Assessment of Health Plans uh, measures. Um, before I ask uh, relative to patient use, I have to ask, what, what emails do you get from hospitals or what do you hear from hospitals when you do this work? It's a wide variety, and it's changed over time. So I've been doing this for about eight years, and at first it was a lot of pushback. A lot of um, our patients are sicker, so that's why our we you know our ratings are worse, or um, you know you can't rate us on these things. It's not meaningful. Patients don't care. A lot of pushback, and I think now because as you pointed out in your intro, you know there's more and more ratings, and hospitals are getting used to it. I'm hearing much more. Um, sort of, this is what we're doing to improve our our ratings and improve safety. So um, that's been an interesting shift. Um, we still occasionally get the our patients are sicker, but more and more medical directors are, are now. I'm actually hearing them say, "Our goal is to get to zero infections." And when I started to hear that, I thought, "Wow, if that if, if leadership is really gotten there in these hospitals, then then we've really had an effect, I think, on them." And just to note, HAIs, or hospital-acquired infections, have been a serious problem for the last several decades, uh, so not an insignificant uh, issue or problem. Let's go to um, patient use. Mm -hmm. So what data do you have relative to the extent to which patients use these ratings? Uh, Because, of course, while uh, in theory this is a great idea, about uh, performance, transparency, quality in this instance, but there is data that shows that, let's just say, patients could be more active or uh, better consumers. Uh, but again, what do you see relative to patient use? Well, I think the the thing what we find is that, uh, you know, the more obviously we pay attention to dissemination of the content, the more traffic we're going to get to it. We see much more um, uptake and engagement with content 
um, when it's within a story, of course, with the, so we have data embedded in stories, and those run in our national magazine or online. And that's a way to sort of get people into the topic um, without just dumping them on a hospital page with a bunch of data on it. And then you can see that people as they travel through the editorial content, and then they decide to either go look up their hospital or maybe a hospital for someone else. Um, so we get good engagement that way um, on, you know, on people looking at the data. That said, you know, despite all the efforts uh, for people to become more engaged with their healthcare, there's really not that much consumer can really do in most cases. In a lot of places, even in my case, I live an hour outside of New York City. I have one hospital near me, so I don't really have a lot of choice. Mm-hmm. And many, many people don't. I mean, we get criticized. We're in New York City. Oh, you've got 10 hospitals you go to. Well, it's not true for most people. And we don't expect that people are going to be able to move from one hospital to another because the infection rates are high. So, again, our theory of change is about hospitals making those changes, but consumers being aware of them and knowing how they can protect themselves. So it's important for us to say to consumers, okay, well, this is the problem, and this is these hospitals are working on it, and these hospitals are not, but this is what you can do to protect yourself by having everybody wash their hands, by asking if your central line can be taken out, by asking that you or saying you don't want a catheter, all sorts of things like that. Okay, okay, thank you. Let's go to, um, since much if not all of my intro was on uh, the concerns or criticisms, let's go to some of these. You mentioned uh, the issue of we have sicker patients mm-hmm. or uh, our patients by and large are uh, lower SCS, so economic status, and one of the general criticisms of these quality ratings um, approaches is they don't take into account uh, sociodemographic information. Um, how do you address that? How will you address this or thinking about addressing it? Um, well, I think the um, NQS, the National Quality Forum, has done a pretty good job of taking a look at how socio-demographic factor factors can um, influence at least some measures. And I'm familiar with a little bit of what they've done in readmissions. And it actually explains very little of the variation uh, in those readmission rates. So that would just be an observation that so far I've not seen measures that um, are drastically affected when you're looking talking about outcome measures. Um, and then we have a strong belief that safety measures should never be adjusted for. Mm-hmm. Uh, any patient deserves the same kind of treatment when it comes to safety and preventing errors. So even if it were an issue, we would say that we would prefer uh, stratifying and making sure that all of the data is available. Even if they do, the, if they do an adjustment, we want to have the unadjusted data and or stratified data. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. And that's I appreciate your reference to that NQF study on readmissions. Uh, this subject generally is garnering uh, appropriately a, a good deal of attention, a lot of work to be done. Um, but relative to that, I'll ask you the related or flip side question is the risk adjustment issue. Um, any sensitivity or attention to uh, f- uh, trying to calculate or adjust scores based on maybe zip code or um, any thought to that? Well, I think that's sort of getting at the same, Correct, at least right. partially at the same question. So I would say not by zip code. I mean, I would look to the risk models for calculating the outcome measures that we have to be improved if possible. So I know the CDC um, has used or does use patient-level data for adjusting their surgical site infection data. So the more that that can be the model in adjusting um, data uh, for other types of infections, I think that would be useful. I mean, right now there are adjustments for the size of the hospital, whether it's a teaching hospital or not, et cetera. 
but um, you know, there may be room for improvement there. And I think everybody's trying to get to to the place where they feel the most comfortable with it. But it's done, you know, incrementally. Mm-hmm. And uh, but we support those kinds of um, activities, and we are active in National Coral Quality Forum and in helping um, improve the you know any risk adjustment that's done when it comes to uh, severity of illness of patients. But again, not sociodemographic. Sure. Okay. Uh, this question, um, oftentimes the criticism about quality measures generally is that it's insensitive to patients' needs, preferences, and values, although it's hard to argue how anyone would be opposed to understanding better infection rates. Uh, you mentioned maternity care, just general safety, uh, errors avoidable, morbidity, mortality, and overuse of imaging. But to what extent are you thinking down the road about trying to address, again, this generic criticism about, uh, say, for example, measures concerning functional status or pain, uh, measures that would be more relevant to um, um, what patients actually care about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, when we started doing our um, hospital raids, we did ask patients, um, and like you mentioned in your comment, uh, people are very concerned about preventable errors so that we knew we were definitely, um, you know, hitting uh, an area that patients really care about. Um, it is true definitely that people also care about functional outcomes. Uh, those tend to be, I think, a little bit maybe more on the, on the elective surgery side, so maybe with hip and knee replacement and things like that. So they can, I think they can be useful. Um, sometimes they don't get at the issue of um, overuse of, of treatments, and so that's one of the things that concerns me is, like, you could self-report a really good outcome, but maybe you would have gotten there without surgery. And so... Um, it, I think it misses the mark on some of the overuse questions. Well, that take, would take us down a whole other path. And so I'll just ask you quickly, do you look at the Dartmouth uh, Atlas? Mm-hmm. Uh, and is, is that considered in your calculating? No, we don't use that right now, actually. But that was the first thing that we ever published was hospital-level um, ratings basically on the Dartmouth Atlas. So we do pay a lot of attention to it. Um, currently, it's not um, added in. I mean, we we do feel like, you know, there needs to be attention on um, end-of-life care overuse of procedures during end-of-life care. I think there have been other ways that people have gotten at that other than hospital-level data, but I think it is valid. We don't do it right now, but it, it's something I think is important. Okay. Let's go to the issue of unintended negative consequences. There is a fair amount of literature um, that discusses that, for example, uh, sicker or sickest patients may be removed, particularly if you're talking about preference-sensitive conditions, uh, from waiting lists or deselected or dissuaded from certain clinical procedures because the concern is more than likely you would have a poorer outcome, and this would then uh, compromise uh, or, or minimize a hospital's interest in improving its quality ratings. Uh, what evidence of this do you see um, in this work? I think in the areas that we work in when it co- uh, regarding safety, I don't think there's much in the way of self-selection or negative consequences to the patient. Um, you know, there may be unintended consequences with regard to um, accurate reporting and, um, and trying to justify something being not being an infection when it is. So I see, I see a different type of um, unintended consequence. Um, in, you know, I've looked at some of the literature on, on the selection in, in heart surgery. I think they, uh, I don't think there was a big issue there. I could be wrong and be up on the most uh, current data. So when you're thinking about a surgeon who's, you know, either going to do surgery on a patient or not, um, you know, I could see that being more of a concern than a hospital um, dealing with an infection. 
but I think in the past there has been less of that happening than um, than one would think. Since you mentioned uh, heart, um, you know the, the concern nationally has been overuse of stenting. Yes. Um, but you don't drill down or get into the say specific DRGs or specific surgical procedures. Uh, well, we haven't done stenting. Uh, the outcomes there. I don't have uh, access to great um, data there, but we do, however, have wonderful, uh, really reliable data from the Society of Thoracic Surgeons on um, cardiac surgery, such as bypass surgery, valve replacement surgery, um, and they've been collecting and reporting on this data, publicly reporting um, for mm-hmm. a, a number of years, and they've been collecting the data for probably 20 years. And they have very strong risk adjustment models, and they have very strong participation. And I think that's really the model for other specialties is to get there where the both physicians and the public can trust in the data. And um, and then students will know that if they take on hard cases, that that's going to be um, well uh, taken care of within the ratings that they uh, receive. Well, since you are in New York, of course, New York has had this multi-decade on uh, heart surgery, cabbages, and others. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've been doing this for quite a long while. Um, let me ask then, um, uh, as a going out or concluding question, how do you see your work evolving, say, over the next two to three years? Well, what we'd really like is uh, to try to, to have more data made available because one of the big gaps is that many hospitals just don't report data on particular areas. So. One is C-sections. Only about half of hospitals report C-section rates. So one of the areas we'd like to see move along is better reporting of this data, whether it's um, through us or through other entities like LeapFrog um, or through the Joint Commission. We want to see that data made public. So that, that would be one of the um, you know, apps or future wishes that we get to, our sort of you know, goals. Another would be um, the area of antibiotic overuse. And again, sort of more transparency in data that's not available to the public but that the CDC has with regard to the amount of antibiotics that hospitals are using and then how that ties to their infection rates. So I guess as the big picture would be, even though it might seem like there's a lot of data, some of the really good data is not available to the public. Well, we know C-sections are about one-third of deliveries in this country, grossly overused. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let me just, specific since you mentioned a C and maternity, um, I'm unclear, do you actually measure um, uh, infant and uh, maternal mortality? Yeah, we're not reporting on that right now. Um, I don't know if we have a good national data set for that. Uh, that's one of our sort of challenges is that we might start out with some state-level data so we get familiar with it, but until we have something that we can look at hospitals nationally on, it's kind of hard for us to invest in a particular area. Otherwise, we're doing different things in every state. Um, so we would like to get to an outcome measure for, for uh, both for the infants and for the mothers. And right now, we are sort of you know, if you think about it, if we only have C-section rates for half of hospitals, you can think of what the challenges are in getting good um, outcomes data for both the child and the mother from those hospitals also. So it's kind of a data, you know, we're back to the data issues. Oh, it's always ultimately a data question. That's right. <laughs> uh, as, a, as a going out follow-up, uh, stepping back, I would think you, you're optimistic because we're moving to this pay-for-value versus pay-for-volume. And that's always uh, accompanied with quality measurement uh, because that's a variable in how they calculate uh, financial reward. So would you say on balance you think with the advent or movement towards uh, pay for performance uh, and, the, and the company emphasis on quality measurement that this will enable your work? 
Um, yeah, I hope so. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that the attention to value and to quality continues, you know, in the next um, four years. And uh, so that's one of our concerns. That uh, The other is that in some cases, you know, the quality measures are not that good. And if value and outcomes and, and everything are calculated on measures that are not well constructed or have major flaws, then, you're, you know, your, your assessment of high value is going to be off. So I think that's sort of some of the concerns that we have with regard to um, getting the calculation right. Right. Too many process measures, and we have mm-hmm. to get away towards outcome. Speaking of NQFM, I'm at a two-day meeting of theirs, uh, uh, two-day meeting of theirs in, uh, next week. So you would say you're cautiously optimistic. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Doris, with that, uh, we're at our time boundary. So let me say thank you very much for this quick um, overview of your work. I wish you um, all luck and success in forwarding it. It's a, it's a um, substantial contribution. Thank you. Well, thank you for your interest. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.